0: Well, last week we looked at the uh, description of the woman who rides the beast. Uh, Again, we're in a parenthetical period of trying to go back and establish her history in relationship to the nations, which we identified as the beast. Um, We have uh, tried to not isolate her to one religious body, um, as some have done. Uh, which usually ends up being the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, certainly that is one manifestation of it that I have on the board way out here during the church age with the Vatican and the Madonna with child. Uh, we certainly have that manifestation of it. And so, as you would expect, um, if someone were to do a study of Roman Catholic Church, it would fit the description perfectly. Um, but also, so would many of these others. Um, and as the Vatican is set in Rome uh, in a place with seven hills, and that, that's another whole misapplication of some data, but uh, we also have the Parthenon set in Athens with uh, seven hills. We have Corinth and Apollos with seven hills. We have Ephesus. as so we saw at this morning. Diana. Um, and uh, that was just a very favorite identification. Sometimes I think the Romans went out of their way to identify seven hills and uh, not and then overlook others. Don't call it don't form them together. But we have really this formation of this woman, and I want you to begin tonight by looking at her position with reference to the beast. Um, it says that she rides the beast and that the beast has committed fornication with her. That she is the harlot. Now We often think in terms of prostitution and the harlot as someone who is a victim, um, but the Bible does not. They view her, the harlot, as the one who is victimizing, um, that she really is the one who is in Proverbs out on the street corner enticing uh, foolish young men into her bed and into all the trouble that awaits them there, Uh, and, uh, and we see that really borne out in the, New, in the Old Testament particularly um, and even in the New Testament as well uh, we think of Jacob and his uh, daughter in law three times over not Jacob I'm sorry Judah and his daughter in law three times over and wouldn't give for his last son and uh, so she puts on the clothing of a prostitute uh, goes out on the roadside entices him in and, uh, and is there by that forced mechanism of, uh, of the kinsman-redeemer, um, provides a child. And when it's time to uh, punish her when she's found to be pregnant, she says whoever owns these, the staff um, is the father of the child. And of course, he recognizes those as his own. Uh, in the New Testament, we have an example too of the harlot that is caught in adultery. Remember, that was brought to Jesus and uh, they were going to see how he would uh, deal with her. Um, she was caught in the very act, interesting, that the male wasn't there. Uh, he wasn't brought before the crowd or before Christ for judgment. Uh, and that's when Jesus just starts writing or drawing something in the sand, uh, makes one singular statement, and that is he's without sin cast the first stone. Uh, when he's done drawing the sand, there's no one there but him and her and his statement to her is, go and sin no more. Uh, and so, uh, the society generally has not seen them as the victim, but rather as the one who is um, enticing men uh, into uh, that sexual act, and therefore the victimizer. And so when the Bible describes her as the harlot who rides the beast, and the nations of the earth committing fornication with her, that is a matter of of her guiltiness, and not that, and not as much the guiltiness of the nations. Um, we find that she is the one who is the uh, mother of harlots; that she is a mother of abominations. She is the one who is guilty of fornication and enticing the nations to her. Um, and and so that role as harlot, uh, we need to put in our mind a little bit differently than a lot of our modern pictures of of the of. Um, them being victims at all. Uh, That's really not something that uh, was portrayed at all. And of course, you add to that the whole role of the temple prostitutes in much of the Greek and Roman world where that is the means by which they worship their false gods. Um, And you have another whole layer on top of that uh, imagery that is being painted for us in the use of this symbol of the harlot. Uh, And uh, that is how God Views false religion, even the religions that might use his own name. And we have picked up on some of those already because we studied the first part of Revelation. And in letters to the churches, we keep having this come up uh, that, you know, here's Jezebel, here's here's the Nicolaitans, here's the the synagogue of Satan, the Jews, the ones who say they're Jews but are not. Um, Here are all these whom you are taking a stand against and that you must recognize that they are the the ones who um, are enemies of Christ, that are enemies of God's people, that are seeking to entice you away from true following after Christ, uh, the the way. And so we have the harlot uh, portrayed in that manner, uh, just by the term, the harlot. We we immediately should have in our mind not a, a victim, but rather a very powerful individual, Um, that is leading men purposefully into sin, into her sin of fornication, and that is spiritual fornication. Um, Certainly there's some sexual sin as well wrapped up in that. We talked about that last week. But we're really drawing men into false worship, um, whether it's synchronistic, like Israel's was with Baal. um, And the interesting, uh, in the list there in Revelation's letters to the churches, one of the examples was, was Balaam. And Balak, but that's one of the examples given. That uh, we're trying to uh, entice men, just like uh, Balaam advised Balak, well, I can't curse them, but here's what you can do. You can go down there and play the harlot to them and try to get them by means of your women. And try to really draw them into sinning against their God and then God won't be sold for them. And that's really the view of this, of this character, this, this entity is uh, not just benign uh, some other religious beliefs, but is very pointedly uh, anti-Christ and uh, anti-the truth. And so uh, this entity is someone to be... We're going to have some very strong words with a reference to our relationship with her uh, here in Revelation. And so uh, the other facet that we have here is that she has some control of the nations. So if you have in your mind the thought of a beast being ridden by a girl, I got to watch that happen on our trip on vacation. Um, I saw this magnificent, powerful creature um, that uh, outweighed and uh, certainly outmuscled um, this other creature on top of him. Uh, and yet that little girl had come really control of that horse. Just with a bit in the bridle, a bit in the mouth and a few kicks in the side. Um, but from what I can tell, um, most beasts, most animals don't really prefer to be ridden on. They have to be trained. They have to be broken. They, they, uh, we, we put on saddles with a with, uh, uh, belt on it with a, with a bit in their mouth and and we use whips and, and uh, spurs and things like that, and that's the relationship between the woman who is riding the beast that she has enticed them into this, and she is exerting power over them to control them. So while we look at the nations and we say, well, you know, the nations are doing these things, but we find that one of the one of the poker one of the prodders one of the the, the the digging the spurs into the side of this beast is false religion that that is really driving a lot of their activity and that goes all the way back into egypt and uh, even prior to egypt and the period of nimrod and all the way forward we see that that influence that is uh controlling it's a controlling influence and so the priests can come in and uh dictate some things to emperors and kings. Uh, We are a little divorced with that because of the coming of age of this new different horn, this new beast that uh, tries to throw that off. And I would contend with you that some of what we're seeing here, I think I mentioned last week, of the throwing off of the woman who rides the beast, we've seen in our lifetime. Of the secularization the attempt to divorce ourselves really goes all the way back to 200 years ago, the founding of our nation, where we tried to divorce ourselves and create a wall separation. Um, that was really intended to guard religion from the state. But what it has become in the last 60 years, in, our, in my lifetime, um, I'm not 60 years old though, uh, 50 years since 62, when we kicked prayer out of schools, but even prior to that, is that now we have separation of church and state that the founding fathers intended to be guarding the church from the state is now guarding the state from the church. And that's the prevailing attitude for the last 70 years or so, um, is that that's what they meant. And that's new. That's different than all these other nations. And I believe that is the precursor to the demise of the harlot, is that this nation, or league of nations, if you will. This empire, uh, in its last manifestation, is trying to throw its rider. It is actively trying to throw its rider off. It is trying to get religion off its back so that it can function completely as a secular society. And we have seen that not only in this country, but really uh, attempts of it have been globally in nature. And I think this is... A little bit of what we're seeing with the, with the response of uh, radical Islam. Uh, they're responding to that somewhat. Uh, when you think of uh, Turkey and you think of Syria and even Iraq um, and you look at Egypt, um, what is, what's going on there? Well, um, Islam looked at that and said, we are secularizing our society. And the religious imams didn't like it. It, They lost control. They were losing control and had lost dominantly the control of all those nations. They took over Iran first, really. Um, And what we saw in the Arab Spring and following is really just Islam trying to take back control of the beast. They're trying to maintain their control over that region. Uh, Much like... (laughs) uh, You're going to... Going. I can't believe you just compared ISIS to much like the moral majority and Jerry Falwell tried to do. You remember that? How many of you were not alive during the moral majority and Jerry Falwell? It's okay, it just means you're young. what <laughs> Jeremy's on the bubble there. He's like, I don't know if I was. I was in high school at its peak, okay? So over 30 years ago, I was in high school at its peak. And uh, we were going to stir up the moral majority of America and take back politics. Uh, Jerry Falwell led that through Liberty Baptist Church and the school that came out, was born out of Liberty University. And we were going to take back the, through the moral majority. And, we, and this is where really uh, the, the clarion call for Christians to swamp the the uh, and that's really when the Republican Party became more of the Christians dominated uh, of the two parties. Uh, but that was an attempt to take back our nation uh, from the secularization that we had seen that we saw happening for 20 years. We'd seen the secularization of our society 30 years, probably more 30, 40 years. Um, and we are trying to react. And that's, I think, what's going on in Islam is they saw, I mean, Turkey was a very secular nation for an Islamic nation. Um, And when we were there, no big deal. Um, And Egypt was as well, and Syria and Iraq. Um, There's no way you can look at Saddam Hussein and say that he was a radical Muslim. Not at all. He was about as secularized as you could get. And so this woman is making her last gasp attempt to stay on the saddle of the beast. She's trying to keep control of the nations. That's what we're seeing in our age, which tells us that something is in the mix. Something's going on. That from all this history, now her ride is about ready to remove her. the, The spirit and the attitude of secularizing society is prevalent globally. And so we can look at, and by the way, historically the the, point, the one that we've always pointed to finger out were the communists because that's a full secularization of society, right? Um, well, we were doing the same thing with the separation of church and state. We secularized that and tried to say church doesn't have any say, and really Lyndon B. Johnson did more damage to that than anything else. How many of you were alive when LBJ was president? If you were alive then, you know what I'm talking about. Is that just us four? Or is that all I'm talking to? Wow. By the way, that's a great thing, because on vacation we were at a church, and, and um, my kids felt like they were the only four in their group. So, um, they're on the Oregon coast. So, we're very thankful for our young families. And yeah, we're still counting the leachments of young families. Okay. So, um, we're seeing this, this in motion in our age... Um, really almost unlike any other time there have been attempts um, particularly with the papacy and remember the one nation that really tried to make that break do you remember who that was? it was Great Britain King Henry VIII, right? because the Pope wouldn't grant him what he wanted Here's the King of England having to go crawl to the Pope to say, can I have another wife? It wasn't granted it to him. So that's, but, but notice what the King of England had to do. He didn't just secularize the society. He couldn't do it. Because the woman had firm control of the reins. The bit was still in the mouth. The saddle was still firmly attached to the beast. And he had to capitulate. The best he could do is create his own religion. And so he just took Catholicism, changed it a little bit to accommodate <laughs> uh, some things uh, morally for himself in terms of marriage. And we have the Episcopal Church being born. Right? Church of England in the United States of the Episcopalians. So that's who the Episcopalians are, Church of England. Um, and again, King Henry VIII couldn't get rid of the Pope. He couldn't, he couldn't get rid of the harlot off his back. And so he simply re invested a a new manifestation of her. And so the religion still controlled the beast. And it's really only in these last days, in this generation, that we've really seen secularization of the nations to the extent that we're seeing. And of course, Islam is going to react. It's their last gasp, it really is. ISIS is kind of the last gasp of their... Their attempt to control nations, and uh, it's interesting to see how the Christian community is is decrying them. And yes, they're slaughtering Christians, and that's horrible. Um, but we need to recognize that for what it is, and that is a precursor of what is of their demise, which is really coming. They are making themselves the enemy of the world, and with them, a lot of other religious groups. And uh, and so the when we see in people's statements um, about uh, the moral degradation and the attack of uh, Catholicism on both Jews um, uh, and uh, the holy wars and things like that. Um, we're putting a lot of social guilt on the nations. We are building a case, if you will, over the last few decades against the woman, the harlot. That's what's going on, and we're seeing it across the board, even into the Oriental um, religions. And so we're seeing this in our day differently than a lot of uh, history has seen. Um, But she has control over him. She's writing him. Well, now we come to a section of scripture that is lengthy. It is two chapters plus long. And I say plus because I think it draws us into chapter 17. And uh, we've already looked at verses 7 uh, through uh, 11. uh, A little bit of verses 12 and 13. But we find that in the end, um, there's going to be a conglomerate of ten kings. I have ten crowns on here. Um, I'll explain why the three are a different color. Um, When I drew this, I was actually working... Uh, through Daniel I hadn't gotten to the ten crowns where it talks about three and that were displaced. And so I identified them distinctly. Um, but I, I, if there's any part that I've developed, I haven't changed the time frame of this after all these years, but I have uh, added to it and made it more specific than what I did back then. And this is one of the areas I was still working on studying out. Um, and we find that these are ten kings, ten kings who receive a kingdom... Not back here at the founding of the eighth head of the beast. Not back here. They receive their kingdom, it says, for one hour. They are ten kings who are given a kingdom by the beast, by the last manifestation of the beast, by the second beast of Revelation 13, for one hour to do his will. And they they grant it all to the beast. They're one mind. They want to make war with the Lamb. Uh, and the Lamb will overcome them, so we're going to come to the very end. Uh, but w- among the things that we're going to see is that, uh, in verse 16, we want to jump in. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate, naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill His purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So you see her place as a reigning over the kings. She actually exercises higher authority than kings. But these ten kings, at the very end, granted authority that's going to extend from the point of their acceptance of that, somewhere in here, uh, all the way to to the end of to the Armageddon that we just saw in the previous chapter. Um, their first assailant, if you will, the first one that they are going to come upon is, well, they're opposing the Lamb. That is Christ. So they're opposing the church. But notice that they aren't able to overcome her. But look at what who else they oppose. They oppose the harlot. They attack her viciously, so viciously that they literally bring an end to her. And the first symbolic entity, really, of all of Revelation that will come under God's judgment isn't the beast; it is the harlot. She's the first one to fall. She is first, and the first, and her judgment comes in two waves, if you will. So let's go ahead and read chapters 18 and 19, and uh, just so you understand how important this fall is, um, two chapters are given to this description. Guess how much space is given to the fall of the nations? The beast. One verse. Two chapters... To describe how the harlot is going to be destroyed, her double punishment, how heaven is so happy that she's gone, how uh, they're going to rejoice and be jubilant over. So we're going to read for two chapters now. I'm going to take the time to read it with you. Um, and I want you to get in your mind that <laughs> when we get to Armageddon, the victory over the nations is going to take all of one verse. And we're not going to find a bunch of jubilation. We're going to find, hey birds, come and eat. It's time for you to eat. And that's about it. Because, and by the way, God um, laughs at the nations, right? Doesn't Proverbs, um Psalms says that? Nations rage and he laughs at them. Um, but when it comes to the harlot, this is no laughing matter. God is, God is adamant about their destruction. And we're going to see that. Let's go ahead and read these with that thought in mind that this is something very substantial to God. That whatever nation you live in, is of much lesser importance than what belief system you are engaged in, in God's sight. Verse 8, chapter 18. After these things, I saw an angel coming, another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory, and he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great has fallen, has fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works in the cup for which she has mixed. Mix double for her, in the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow, for she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. The kings of the earth, who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her, will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for one hour your judgment has come, and the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her for one... No one buys their merchandise anymore, merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots and bodies and souls of men. The fruit that you're so longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour such great riches came to nothing, Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when, she, when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, "What is like this great city?" They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, saying, "Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth! For one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you, holy apostles and prophets, for God." Has avenged you on her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you any more. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you any more. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you any more. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore, and the voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you any anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by their sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. After these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! How salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are His judgments, because He has judged the great harlot, who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and He has avenged on her the blood of His servants shed by her. Again they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke rises up forever and ever, and the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who sat on the throne saying, Amen! Hallelujah! Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God! All you His servants and those who fear Him, both small and great, and I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, as the sound of mighty thunder, saying, "Hallelujah! For the Lord God Omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready. To her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then He said to Him, To me, right, blessed are those who are called. To the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he said, "These are the true sayings of God." And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said, "See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy." We're going to stop right there before we have Jesus arriving, and so we find this jubilant reception of this event, and the question is, when does it happen? And why does it seem that well, back in chapter 17, it was the ten kings under the authority of the beast uh, and in collusion with the beast, collusion with the beast, um, attack her. And yet, by the time we get into heaven, the accolades all go to God who has judged her. And again, we should recognize this this formulation um, of judgment that one of the instruments that God uses to judge evil is sometimes another evil. How does God judge Israel for her adultery, spiritually, by bringing in a nation like Assyria? And yet that was God's judgment, but the instrument used to judge them was the Assyrians. And we wouldn't necessarily point to the Assyrians and say, well, there's a real godly group. Um, there was a time (coughs) when you could say that about Nineveh for one generation at least because a guy named Jonah went there and all of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, turned to God, kinged out. But by the time they come into northern Israel, you wouldn't describe them that. They were obviously worshipping Dagon, Dagon, and um, you have Naaman coming in, the Assyrian, who comes to Christ, comes to God, um, and uh, worships him alone. Um, God then uses the Babylonians to punish Judah, the southern tribes, but that's God's judgment using this instrument to affect it on Judah. And again, we wouldn't describe the Babylonians necessarily as very godly people at that point. And yet, they were the ones who sent an emissary of men to Hezekiah to say, "Who is this God that moved the heavens for you?" And so, we we see the influence there. uh, Usually, a a generation before God uses them, and, uh, and it shouldn't surprise us that the instruments that God uses to destroy, to do His work of judgment were in a generation previous could be considered godly. So God's going to use these entities to destroy the harlot. And this is going to be globally and it's going to be multifaceted. It's not just one religion we're talking about them getting rid of, but they're casting off all religions. And when that happens, I contend that that happens at the midpoint of the seven years of God's wrath. Right here, when you have the um, two the two witnesses um, killed and resurrected, um, you have the man of sin coming in and desecrating the temple. Um, in this first half. Um, In response, I believe there's a lot of temple building going on, the, the temple in Jerusalem, but a lot of other things. As people say, this is horrible, we should turn to God. Somehow the man of sin convinces the world that that's a bad idea, that God is actually the author of all of this, and we need to throw off religion. And so I would contend that the same time that he goes in and desecrates the temple of Israel, the same time that he is violating the seven-year treaty, the same time that the two witnesses are killed, and maybe that is the, the hour that is talked about here, that very short period of time, um, when suddenly uh, he seems to have the preeminence, he seems to have the, the, the uh, authority that he claims to even deal with these kinds of people, that uh, at that point, not only is the Jewish temple desecrated, not only are the two witnesses for four thousand dealt with, but uh, I would contend the harlot is dealt with is that, at that time too. That at this point we are just going to eradicate religion, because it's just not serving us. It's it's not something we want on our back anymore, and religion is going to become the enemy. It's going to be the hated one. But recognize that the nations of have. have Really, not wanted her control all along. They've been enticed to it, and they've been had the bit in their mouth and, and the spurs in their side, um, and have submitted to it, but not necessarily willingly. And so now is their chance. And so when we get to the end of chapter 17, and it talks about that they have their purpose of one mind, um, and what are you, what's it going to be expressed as? Well, um, they're going to hate. Uh, eat, strip her naked. I mean, they're going to just attack this uh, woman in verse 16. uh, They're going to hate the harlot, make her desolate, naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. Now, these are just ten kings. By the time we get to the next chapter, it says the rest of the kings of the earth are going to weep and wail, but from a distance. They're not going to step in and try to rescue her, They're going to from a distance step back and say, oh, that's so terrible. Oh, that's so bad. And so quickly we just got rid of it. Now, is this going to be the experience of every person on earth? No, what we're talking about is the religious forms. Certainly there's going to continue, even to the very end, going to be some who are out there practicing these false religions. But in terms of temples and synagogues, uh, they're just going to be destroyed. And we are seeing that happening in our day and age and it's interesting to see that the, we, we're decrying it uh, among when ISIS goes in one of, one of the things that radical Islam does is they destroy anything that they think is idolatrous I mean they're putting dynamite into places and blowing them up that were tourist places because uh, and, and uh, in fact there was a Cartoon in the paper might have been yesterday or Friday. I was gone for two days, so I read two days' worth of paper. I don't know which one it was, um, and it had all these people of ISIS uh, killing individuals, and the reporters out in front saying, uh, "Well, they've taken over this part. We're worried about the what they're going to do to these relics and ruins, but they're not worried about what they're doing to the people, slaughtering all them." Um, well, by this point, um, having endured three and a half years of the trumpet judgments um, and religion isn't helping us at all, Uh, the the, the spirit of the age uh, directed by the man of sin and empowered by these ten kings and the authority of the beast are just going to have a full-scale assault on that and say, we just need to eradicate this. Um, We need to throw this lady off our back. And what's holding us back and what's really hurting us all along has been all these religions. And so it's not just an assault on Judaism. It's not just an assault on Catholicism. It's really assault on this harlotry, this harlot who has been around all the way back to Semiramis and claims to be the the queen of heaven and no widow at all. And so we find that the nations are going to be the instrument God uses to destroy her. But her destruction isn't over because God says, I'm gonna light her up. She's gonna burn forever. And so on my chart, I have her, the smoke of her destruction. It says is going to persist. That it's just going to continue. Uh, and so there's going to be some evidence there of her destruction. And uh, and so we see the Babylon as the image because of the orig- origin. Way back here, because of the origin there at the Tower of Babel and the Babylonian pure era, this city has been set aside as the quintessential uh, city of this false religious system that seeks to mimic many of the things or the promises of God. Um, Satan was there. He heard God say to Eve, "The seed of the woman," right? And so it's, it's not difficult to see. His attempt to mimic that of a maleless uh, God that is formed out of a virgin mother, um, and so the, that's Satan's attempt. And yet, all the way along, we see the, the blood of the saints, the blood of the saints of the prophets, um, being uh, at her feet and, and even inside of her. Uh, that that's what. Um, is being judged. And so she's being rendered what she deserves. Double, according to works. Whatever she has done to men, God's going to do to her double. Uh, and all the glory that was hers isn't going to help her. In fact, it might even... The, the indication is that all of her wealth is actually the carrot that was her demise. So let's just put some thought to that. That's a little bit of a conjecture to me, but for me, but... Um, It keeps going back to this idea of the wealth, the wealth, the wealth, the wealth, wealth, that her wealth was bemoaned by the merchants, bemoaned by the kings, bemoaned by the sailors, that she lost all this, that all this wealth is lost. And the question is, where did it go? Um, And again, when you've gone through what we just saw in the trumpet judgments, and you're in this thing facing whatever's coming down the road, and with some expectation of Satan's assistance, at the end with the three frog frog demons, if you will, demons that were like frogs, um, we can fully appreciate, I think, what happens here. That this gal has so many resources at her disposal, um, tied up in her false worship, that it just becomes too ripe a tomato not to pick. Uh, And we have some examples of that historically, don't we? Um, one of the reasons Nebuchadnezzar kept coming back to Jerusalem was because Hezekiah showed him all the wealth of the temple. He's like, i got to fund my war machine. Where am I going to get the... Oh. I have an Israeli king that led our emissaries right into the treasury. Not only do you know how much they have, we know exactly where it is. This is what Hitler did. Did he not? When he was going in, and it was evil, but it was genius to identify the Jews because they were the bankers and they had an extraordinary amount of wealth compared to the rest of the population of Germany and Austria to identify them as the evil so that as he arrested them and killed them, what did he gain? He gained all their wealth to fund his empire building. So this is an unreasonable thing. But we're 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 shocked a little bit at the at the scale of it at that point, or maybe we're not shocked at the scale of it anymore. Maybe we're not. Maybe your generation isn't shocked by the scale of these things. You guys think globally so much more than my generation did growing up. Um, maybe the scale isn't shocking. Uh, to identify all of these as not worthwhile and we're going to just simply uh, take those resources uh, to enable us to press on in the pursuits of the beast. But I want you to appreciate that we don't find celebration in heaven when the beast is destroyed. It's just kind of matter of fact. It's just done. We don't in fact we find the nations still identifiable. A thousand years later, the nations are still identifiable at the end of Christ's reign and throughout Christ's reign. And when we get into the new heaven and new earth, the nations are still identifiable by their people groups. Interesting, isn't it? The healing, in fact, the description of the trees that grow by the river of life is that they're there for the healing of the nations. And so, the identification of divisions of men by nationality um, persists. But this, oh, God wants this gone. He wants none of this but but the smoke to tell you, remind you of it's of its complete and utter destruction till that's the only thing he wants to linger. It's not even around. The woman who rides the beast isn't around to be thrown into the lake of fire. Right? The beast is. Death is. But not her. This is it. And heaven is jubilant to get rid of this harlot. God has judged her. She has been the one who has perpetrated all of this and ultimately mastered even the beast all the way through. And, and, and in the final judgment of who's responsible, the onus falls on the shoulders of the harlot of false religion. And so when you hear people say, here's what religion gave us. They gave us the holy wars. They gave us the inquisition. They gave us this. it gave us that. Agree with them, Please. But realize that that's religion and not Christ and not a relationship with Jesus. That's the harlot that did all those things. And one of the ones who were the victims of that was the saints. We are the victims of that. And so, please feel free to blame her for all of it because God does. Now, tucked in here, I'm... (laughs) Tucked in here is one verse. Excuse me. Get a little excited. Tucked in here is one verse. Verse 4. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues, for her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Um, Brethren, we have no business being a part of any manifestation of this in any way, shape, or form. And I don't care what societal or social causes we might seem to share, the fact is that we are called not to be conjoined with her in any way. And I don't care if the movement is for against homosexuality or against abortion or any other moral groundwork, I'm not going to join hands with 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 the Mormons, I'm not going to join hands with the Catholics. I'm not going to join hands with, with all of these entities um, to combat these in our society. No way. Come out from her lest you share in her sins. Because as soon as you start joining hands in the social realm, something's going to start happening. And this is what ecumenism calls us to. is it Let's find our common ground. Let's just keep finding our common ground. Let's find our common ground. And I've been hearing that most of my adult life as a pastor. Why won't you just acknowledge the common ground you have? In fact, I was up pretty late last night um, engaging some people online um, about why I don't put a lot of energy and credence into the creeds, even the Nicene Creed. I'm like, I'm not Roman Catholic. So I don't... You won't see the Nicene Creed anywhere here. I don't know why you don't see the Ten Commandments anywhere in here. Um, I challenged everybody Wednesday night at our study with that. You can complain about it not being in the social arena, but we don't have them posted in our church, so I don't know how you can complain about it not being in the courtyard of the city. Um, but I don't have the Nicene Creed here. It's not. You're not going to find it. I'm not going to emphasize it. Does that mean it's wrong and full of error? No, but I'm not going to join hands there. I do not want to associate with this woman on any level, even in social justice areas. Um, and so, yeah, I, I took I took huge offense that um, Christians were were getting on the bandwagon for a, a Mormon candidate for presidency. Oh, he's a moral good person. We need those kind of people. No, 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 no. Come out from her lest you share in her sins. She is a harlot. And the first thing a harlot does is tempt you. By putting... For her best assets, whatever those are, that she thinks might entice you, and then once you are drawn in by those, then she swallows you up, and the path, Proverbs says, her path is death. And spiritually we can't do it. And so the, the statement is, if you're my people, don't be with her, or you will get caught into her sins. You will get caught here. And then you'll be guilty of what she's guilty of, and you might end up sharing in some of her judgment. And so there are some significant things at risk here. So yes, I am I am very anti ecumenical. Uh, and I resist it all the time. And I have these groups who want to come in and you wanna we wanna go to this concert together, we wanna have this we can, if you know, we want to have this evangelist in, and we want to do this, and we want to do that, and if all our churches banded together, and I'm like, no, I can't do it. Why? Because I've seen the list of churches, and for many of them, I wouldn't send my dog there to be saved, let alone a person. Well, I probably would send my dog just to no. Come out from among her, lest you share in her sins, and if you share in her sins you might receive of her plagues. And this stands. And so you won't see me faltering on this, Lord willing, and by God's grace in my life, in our church's life, that we won't share in that sin of being enticed by any issue to be drawn into That kind of a relationship. We want to recognize a harlot for what it is, the harlot. And what you do is you turn and run the other way. And maybe too far the other way, but I'm not sure there is such a thing. But let's be wary, lest we get caught in the same sins that Israel's caught in, many in the early church were caught in, as indicated in the letters to the churches there. In Asia Minor, in the beginning of this book, um, this is a big, big, big deal. Um, this matters probably more than anything else on this chart, is that you have no part of this. And that you have everything given to Christ. We talked about this morning. If it's not all, God isn't interested. And let's be fully aware of the dangers that are out there. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, would we thank you for your love for us. And we thank you again that you are righteous and just, that you will bring to an end those who profane your name, profane your truth by seeking to imitate it, and all the while perverting it. Lord, give us wisdom and carefulness to follow your word of truth. To have the foresight to make sure that we are not a part of this harlot. And Lord, we don't need to control nations. We trust you to do that. We don't need the luxury. We are content. We don't need the immorality. For we have been made righteous by the blood of the Lamb. And so, Lord, we pray that you might just have your hand upon each one here in our church. Lord, we see also a great danger. We see some churches going this way. We have seen it in this last generation over and over again. We continue to see it to this day. We see family members, friends, fellow church members enticed into committing fornication with her spiritually. under the guise of everyone getting along. And Lord, we pray that you might warn them again. You might bring into their lives those that would direct them to your word and by your spirit you might convict them, that they might consider anew their need to come out and be separate no longer share in her sins and thus avoid the calamity that will befall her. It might not fall upon them. And Lord, help us to be sober-minded that we might not be entertained into the trap of error and death smiling as we go all along that we might be willing to engage ourselves seriously in the study of our faith and into the warnings of every aberration of that faith that encompasses us. Help us to identify the counterfeits. stay by staying close to the true Savior to the way. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.